we shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure, and they will hang a man for stirring up, he uses the word maddening, stirring up a mob with the news that the grass is green. G.K. Chesterton, no surprise, 1,908 in the year of our Lord. Over 100 years ago, he said that. Welcome to that world. That's your world. You live in that world. He saw what was coming, and when he made this comment, I can imagine many of the scholars and those in academia, oh, Chesterton, we will never be like that. But he saw what those philosophies would lead to, and that is your world. And um, as I come to you this morning, I feel like uh, I'm going to take a slightly different direction than I typically do when I talk about sex and dating, because this is a subject that I have spoke on hundreds of times. My wife and I have shared this all over the country, many different states, many different college students. Um, I even have a YouTube channel on it if you want to watch it and laugh at my funny hair and when I actually look young. Um, But when I prepared for this message today for you, what I really believed that the Lord put on my heart was that I needed to come kind of as an ambassador of clarity, to speak clarity to you uh, in the midst of a chaotic and confusing time because you are being raised in what is one of the most confusing generations of all time. Um, You want me to give an example? If you just look at the quote, Chesterton said a day would come when that you could, they'd want to hang a man for maddening, as I already said, that means stirring up. They would want to hang a man for stirring up a mob with the news that the grass is green. I can tell you that is your world. I could go on the diag and I could stand there and say, listen, I want to make some propositions. Grass is green. A equals A. A boy is a boy. A cat is a cat. And a woman is a woman. Grass cannot be purple. A man cannot become a woman. A boy cannot become a girl. A dog cannot become a cat. Not very controversial, is it? Yes, it is. They would want to to hang me. And so what Chesterton prophesied has come to pass. And so today I feel like I'm supposed to be an ambassador of clarity. Now, what is going on in your culture? What would lead to this kind of thinking? How did we get here? Um, I don't want to go in a rabbit trail too much, but I want to talk about a word called ambiguity. Ambiguity. Anybody use that word lately? Don't worry, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm just getting my water. That's my wife, by the way. Ah. Um, I want to talk about ambiguity. A derivative of that is ambiguous. What is that? An ambiguous statement is open to more than one interpretation, also defined as inexactness. If someone is being ambiguous, they can also be said to be vague, unclear, imprecise. 
Ambiguity requires that the statement or the theology or the idea or the philosophy be interpreted because the, by the speaker, or I'm sorry, by the hearer, because the speaker has either involuntarily or voluntarily presented an imprice, imprecise proposition. So what, why am I saying this? What I'm, why am I talking about this? Well, ambiguity reigns supreme among the teachers and the leaders who are influencing your generation. And I want you to know that this is not by chance. This is orchestrated. It was thought through. Ambiguity is a carefully designed word salad that modern pagans prefer to use in their so-called arguments, which in reality are not rational arguments at all. They are simply complex-sounding phrases that are designed to elicit emotion and personal interpretation, and in so doing, spread a fog of confusion over the minds of those who listen. And when you listen to them, they will use these, what we used to say in my generation, as like highfalutin words that make you sound really smart, and they will use a certain tone. But what they're trying to do is to thrust confusion upon you so that you can't see reality. This cultural confusion is manifest throughout your world, isn't it? I mean, just jump on TikTok, watch a video on YouTube, sit through a lecture, watch a Netflix movie. I mean, talk to anybody. There's confusion everywhere, and it's in all areas of your world, but it is clearly seen in the area of sex. And so I wanna talk about that with you today. And I want to discuss specifically the area of sexual immorality. And I want to do so as your pastor unambiguously. So if you want an ambiguous sermon, this isn't for you. If you want something confusing and open to interpretation, this is not a message for you. If you want something that is precise, clear, blunt, and bold, you're in the right place. And that's what I'm going to do today. And we're going to do it not from me, but from the scriptures, because God's word is amazing, isn't it? It is food for my soul. It is food for your soul. When you will get into the scriptures and fill your mind with the Holy Scriptures, it will help eliminate the fog of confusion that the world tries to put on our minds. So we're going to look today at 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to pray first. If you could join me, let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are true and that your word is truth. And I thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ said, you will sanctify them in your word, and your word is truth. And if ever there was a time... If ever there was a generation that needed the truth of God's word, it is our generation. It is our day and our time. So I pray that, Holy Spirit, you will come and open our hearts, open our minds to your word, and do something that is profound, beautiful, and deep. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. I'm going to have many scriptures in this message, but the only one I'm going to put up on the screen is this one because it forms really the bedrock of my entire message. We're going to spend a lot of time in it. Let's read it here. The Apostle Paul says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us 
on how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Amazing passage, and what I want to do this morning is to drill down deeply in verse 3. And we're going to spend a lot of time digging into that and drilling down so there is no ambiguity in our minds because the Apostle Paul doesn't leave any ambiguity in the minds of his listeners as well. If you look at verse 3, and if we could put up the first slide again, or the second slide, verse 3, Paul says this, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. Not I think, not I hope, no ambiguity is there. For this is the will of God. The world may have clouded your judgment in the area of sexuality and sex, and you may have wondered what the will of God is. I mean, can I, can I have sex outside of a marriage covenant? What about homosexuality? Can a woman become a man? Can a kid become a dog? Can a singular individual become a plural? What's true? Well, Paul says this clearly and precisely. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. So I want to talk with you about this big word that we don't use a lot in America anymore, sanctification. Now, it's translated like all of our New Testament from a Greek word. If we could put that up, the uh, slide. Um, I, I met in the union this week with Neo. Now, Neo, our, he's my token Greek-speaking person. Just kidding. He's not that. He's a good person. But he's a Greek speaker. And I asked him, how do I pronounce this Greek word? And he told me, and I repeated it about 10 times for him, and he said, no, you know, he's, he's precise. He wasn't ambiguous with me. That's wrong. That's wrong. And finally, I tried it, and I said, aiosmos, good enough. Okay. So the Greek word is aiosmos. He said, the emphasis is on the last syllable. I said, I don't get it, Neo, whatever, it's good enough. That word is typically translated as consecration or sanctification. So when Paul says to you and to me, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, he's saying your iosmos. Now that word, if you love architecture like I do and beautiful church architecture, you might know that there's a church that is, derives its name from part of this word. Does anybody know? Do you recognize it? 
It is a beautiful church, the Hagia Sophia. That is a church in uh, Istanbul. It was called uh, Constantinople for many years. Now, that word, Aya, as Neil was explaining to me, basically means holy. So he said, like, he said in the Orthodox world, every church is named, like, Aya, like, it means saint in English. Holy Paul, Holy Peter, Holy Mary, you know, Holy Timothy. So Aya Sophia, and anybody know Sophia, what that means? Wisdom, so it's the church uh, dedicated to holy wisdom. So, Aiosmos is translated sanctification, but it's basically the, a process through which you become holy. It is the turning you, changing you from a sinner into a saint. It is a lifetime process. Now, in the Latin world, that word Aya is sanctus. You've heard of this, right? So in Italian, the word would be san or santo. So if you go to uh, Burgio, where my grandpa was born, you know, there's a road name with, with my name on it. Can you believe it? Via Guarisco. So I found a YouTube video on this. And I was like, oh, what's it like in my hometown where my grandpa was born? And I found this video. It was like a, a special Christian holiday. And there was all these school kids around. And then they were cheering and they were going, um, Santo Vito, Santo Vito, Santo Vito. So they were saying Holy Vito, who's one of their uh, ancestors that was holy, I guess, and served the Lord. Uh, my grandpa's name is Vito, by the way, so he's named after that guy. So Aya, Holy, Saint, Iosmos. God's will for your life is that you will become holy. It is a process through which you are being transformed day by day, month by month, year by year, into something that we are not by nature anymore, bringing us back to this place of holiness. Now, this word, iosmos, is found throughout the New Testament. Um, I don't have time to go through all of the uh, scriptures, obviously, but a couple that I wanted to point out, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, Romans chapter 6 extensively talks about this word. So Romans 6, verse 19 through 22, uh, and also Hebrews 12, 14. I mean, Romans 6, 19 through 22 um, says this, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members, and he means your body, present your body as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, iosmos. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in, guess what the word is? Iosmos. Wish Neil was here to help us. And the outcome is eternal life. Listen to Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and the Iosmos the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This is so important to the Apostle Paul that he says nobody will see the Lord apart from Iosmos. I'm going to say that again. It is so important, it is so central to your Christian discipleship that nobody will 
inherit eternal life apart from sanctification. The process of making me and you holy throughout life is how we are being prepared to meet with the Lord face to face. And this is a holistic work. You guys, sanctification involves every aspect of my tongue, how I speak to people, how I treat my wife, how I treat my neighbor, how I treat my employer, how I treat my employees, it, how I treat my professors. Sanctification is holistic in every area of life. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's talking about our sexual sanctification. And because we're on taboo topics, number three, that's what we're going to talk about, your sexual sanctification. Let's look at that passage again. If we could put it back up, uh, if you would, please, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let's talk about that. The Greek word there that we translate sexual immorality is actually one word. And this is very common in the New Testament. Very often, there'll be one Greek word that is best translated as two English words. Um, for example, in Philippians, Paul says, you should do nothing out of your uh, vainglory, out of strife or vainglory. And vainglory is the word kenodoxa. It's one word, but we translate it as vainglory because the Greek word kenodoxa, it means empty and glory. You see, so we put it together in one word. In English, we just call it vain or empty glory. Here, the word is pornea. Pornea, translated as sexual immorality. Now, I th it doesn't take a theologian to understand what modern English word comes from the word pornea. Hello. But when Paul says um, that you should abstain from pornea, he's not referring to simply pornography because they didn't even have pornography the way we have it. Obviously, they had unclean and impure images, but it's much more than that. Pornea is not pornography alone. It is all sexual immorality. Paul is referring to any sexual expression outside of holy marriage between one man and one woman, that is pornea. So a single man and a single woman engaging in sexual relations, that is pornea. Homosexuality, that is pornea. Bestiality, that is pornea. A Christian couple that's engaged and they're going to be married in one month, so hey, we can have sex anyway because we're going to be married. Is that pornea? Yes, that is pornea. Paul is very clear. He's not ambiguous. And he is saying right here very clearly that your sexual sanctification is achieved by you avoiding pornea. Now, this word pornea occurs throughout the New Testament many, many times. But I'll tell you what, I was so shocked in my study this week. Does anybody want to guess what book of the New Testament has the most uh, uses of the word pornea. I, I was honestly completely stunned. If I told you, don't sell me the answer. I would have thought it would be one of Paul's letters. It's Revelation. 
Revelation, the book of Revelation, has five uses of the word pornea. Unbelievable. And so I, I did a study on the book of Revelation this week, and there's five references. We can't go through all of them on your own. If you're interested, let me know. I'd love to talk about it with you. But I want to look at Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. Again, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to put it on the screen. You can open up to that if you'd like to on your phone or if you have your Bible. But the first use of pornea that I want to talk about with you this morning is Revelation 17. This is not the first time it, it occurs in Revelation, but it's my first usage today. So Revelation 17, 3 through 5. Listen to this if you want to read along or just listen, that's fine. The Apostle John says, I was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her pornea. And on her forehead was a name written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. What a crazy picture, huh? A, a beast with many heads and then this, uh, this, this creature called the Babylon the Great who's taken the form of a woman and has in her hand a cup. And that cup is filled with what? Abominations and pornea. And she's reaching out the cup and saying, drink. Drink of the cup. Drink of this cup. I remember another story in the Bible when somebody reached out with something. It was a forbidden fruit and said, take of this and eat it. And they ate. And they fell. And now we fall. And so you have this Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots on this beast. And then you go into Revelation 18 and pornea occurs again. But this is a passage referring to the judgment upon Babylon the Great that John the Apostle saw. Listen to this. This is Revelation 18, verse 1, if you want to write that down, 1 through 8. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit, a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her pornea. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of pornea with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, even as she paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds." 
in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment in mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence, mourning, and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. That's powerful. And um, she still sits on that beast, and she's offering that goblet, that cup to you. Reminds me of a story. Let me tell you this. When I was first converted to Christ, and, and I'm not going to go into my story because you all know my story, but I wasn't a Christian, uh, and so I came to Christ later in life. Um, I wasn't raised in the church. And I had come to Jesus as a young man, and uh, I think at this point after my conversion, I was like 19 or 20. I was actually, maybe even 21 at that point because I think I had a few years under my belt. And I went home to Kalamazoo, and I was hanging out at Mark Riccio's house. And Mark, uh, Mark's house, just love Mark, and I, I still talk with him on occasion. And, and his was like the party house. We'd go over there and party together all the time. And uh, so we, we went over to his house, and uh, I had made a decision to stop getting drunk because I'd become a Christian. Remember, I said sanctification encompasses all your life. It wasn't just sexual purity. It was also I can't be a drunk anymore. I was abusing alcohol. I need to stop drinking. And so I had given that up. And we were over. I was with my buddies, and there's probably 10 of us. And he got out a bottle of wine, and he popped it open, and he's like guzzling it down. I was going to bring apple cider vinegar. or Apple cider vinegar. That would not be good. I was going to bring sparkling cider today that, that was the closest thing that looked like wine in my house. But Tammy said, eh, it might not be the best illustration, so I didn't do it. I was going to really try to work this, but just picture it. And I didn't want to bring in real wine, you know, and get in trouble here. So my friends were, you know, just glug, 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 and they're passing it around. They're having a good time. And that's what I always did, you know. And they gave it to me, and I just passed it. And if you know Mark, and you, nobody knows Mark, but you would not be surprised. And Mark was like, come on, what are you doing? Drink it. It's like, and he knows. I was like as big a partier as any of, any of them. Drink it. I said, no, man, I, I don't do that anymore. I'm a Christian now. He goes, come on, man, it's just the spirit of it. And I remember thinking, I don't want that spirit. It's more than alcohol in that moment. It was a spirit. See, I was drinking a cup of more than the liquid, and I don't participate with that anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. And um, I'm not in, in any way trying to say that people that drink alcohol are in sin. That's not the point. What I'm trying to say is, when you part in that moment, when I part if I would have partook of that wine, I was partaking of more than a liquid. I was partaking in this whole experience. And what, the, um, what Revelation is saying is that when you drink of this wine that she offers you, you are partaking of it. You are joining in with it. And we must refuse to drink it. We must refuse and say, no, I won't take that goblet. I won't take that cup. I won't even take a sip. You see, every time you just take a, a brief look at pornography, you take a sip of that. It's a sip of that wine. Every time you compromise sexually with somebody you hook up with or your girlfriend or boyfriend, you take a sip of it. And you might say, well, it's just a sip. I'm telling you right now, a sip leads to another sip, which leads to a deeper drink. 
And before you know it, you're drunk with fog of confusion because that, that beast, that mystery of the great Babylon wants you to drink of it. And there's a way that we respond as Christians, and it's right in our passage. We read it this morning. Look at what it says. I'm going to read Revelation verse 4, Revelation chapter 17, verse 4 again. John said, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you do not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. How do I respond as a Christian? I come out of her. You need to come out. You need to come out of that world. You need to come out of her. It is one of the greatest tragedies in your generation that those that talk about coming out have hijacked a term. They're not coming out of anything. They're coming into something. They're coming into pornea. They're not leaving. They're entering. They're coming into a life of pornea and slavery. I know. I was enslaved in that world for many years. I was in bondage to sexual immorality. If you want to really have a coming out party, come out of pornea. Come out. Come out of that world. Leave it. He says clearly, come out, my people, and do not participate. And that is a word for your generation. And and I talked two weeks ago about a Jacob moment. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I got really fired up about it because I'm passionate about this. Remember I was talking about one of your sanctification steps is honoring God with your money? And Jacob had that dream, and he saw the ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending. And when he got done with this incredible mystical encounter, what did he say? He said, I'm going to serve God, and if God will bless me, I'll give him 10% of everything he gives me. It was a defining moment for Jacob saying, I'm going to be sanctified in my money. I'm going to honor God with my money. And I want to tell you, young people, if you want to have another Jacob moment, it's with your sexuality. That If you want to go all in for God, it has to be this moment where you say, I'm going to come out. I'm going to leave that world. I'm not going to drink of that cup. It's not going to enter into my mouth, and I'm going to reject and avoid that pornea. I remember when I had that kind of coming out time. I was 21 years old, and... Uh, And I'm going to tell you the story of what happened. And before I tell you this story, let me tell you this. When I thought about this sermon, I thought, you know what this sermon is going to be like today? It's going to be like driving a car down a road in like a storm, lightning, thunder, a lot of, it's not very pleasant, not a pleasant drive. But if you've ever driven in in that conditions and then you get to a certain break and you come through it, and then it's like sunny and calm, and you're like, ah, it feels so good. Anybody experience that? Well, that's the sermon. The the good part's coming. But in order to get to the fun, sunny skies, we have to go through this and to deal with what we need to deal with. And so, and then the the joy is coming. But I want to tell you a story before we get to that. I was 21, and um, as as you guys know, I, I wasn't serving Christ in this area. I wasn't being sanctified. I had become a Christian, and uh, 
after my conversion, my, the area of sexual immorality was apparent to me, and I knew I had to come out of it. And, uh, and I just kept compromising and compromising. I was here at the University of Michigan as a student. I was in a dating relationship, and it was uh, sexually impure. And, and when I say sexually impure, we can talk more about this on the panel. I don't mean we were having sexual intercourse. I hope it's not too much to say that with kids here, but you probably hear more in like kindergarten now, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, but that's not the only form of sexual immorality. And I was, and I was compromising, and I knew it, and I was living like a hypocrite. And I felt convicted, and I knew I needed to come out and get out of that world, but I was drinking still. I was still sipping of that cup, and it broke God's heart. And I went to a conference called SALT that many of you just went to. It was awesome, SALT, wasn't it? And uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so great upon my life. I, I pulled aside a, a man of God named Dale. And uh, as a 21-year-old, I said, Dale, I have to confess. Um, you know, I'm seen as a spiritual leader. I was the president of Chi Alpha. You know, people saw me as, like, very fervent for the Lord. And, I, and Dale, I need, need to let you know that there's a girl that I'm dating and on and, on and off, and it's not sexually pure. And I, I, I got to stop. And he, he handled it with grace. And he said, well, thank you for confessing. Let's pray for this to end now. And he, I remember he grabbed my hand. He took my right hand, and he said, let's pray. And we prayed together, and it was just like a weight off my chest. I finally confessed that. And um, I went back to campus, and I called the, the young lady that was also part of our ministry and confessed, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't right, how I'm treating you. We need to not date. This is not good for you. This is not good for me. And uh, it wasn't, that was not an easy conversation, but, uh, but I had it. And little did I know that God was working in Tammy's life, in your life at a similar time here at U of M. I didn't even know her at that point in time. Um, I mean, I think I'd seen her one time. So I was hoping I would get to know her again. But, um, but God was working in her life in this area too. And, um, and I can tell you that when I made that decision, it wasn't like I was perfect. I wasn't perfectly at that moment iosmos. My sanctification is still happening. Just ask my wife and my kids. I'm not perfect. But I can tell you when I made that decision, that was the last time I engaged in that type of sexual immorality again in my whole life. I came out. I came out of it. Yeah, you could clap. It's a, I know it's a little shocking. You're like, are we going to get kicked off campus for what he said? I don't know, maybe, but I'm going to speak the truth. I came out of, of, of the whore of Babylon. I came out into the beauty of and the glory of God. And I said, you know what? This is amazing. And no more shame, no more guilt. Well, now we're at the end of, of the, um, the road. We're getting through the storm, and now we get the good part of my sermon. Are you ready? Because I want you to leave in a place of joy. I wrote this down this morning. God is not telling you to avoid pornea to deprive you of joy. He's telling you to avoid pornea to give you true and everlasting joy. The, the commandments of God are not to hurt you. They're to help you. They're not depriving you. They're actually giving you, giving you true joy. 
And the pornea that I saw and I lived in and the pornea in this culture that everybody goes after is not going to produce true eternal joy. It produces shame, pain, hurt, and guilt. And so the Lord brought me to that point and uh, I graduated from U of M and we were having a worship night at my house uh, off of by East U. And one of my best friends brought a young lady named Tammy Ferguson. And I had seen Tammy before in the union because she was a part of crew. And, um, and I'd only seen you once, but I remembered you because <laughs> I just saw her in the basement. It was like a, there was probably a table with like eight of us and we were all talking and, and Tammy came up and somebody introduced you. I don't know who it was. Like, this is Tammy. I was like, okay, it's Tammy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Wow. I was like, oh, man. I felt like Adam when Eve was brought to him. I was like, wow, this is bone in my bones, flesh in my flesh. So I had met her one time, and then that was it. Months later, Chris said he was going to go out. Uh, they were going to go get ice cream. They were just friends. Chris liked her roommate is what he was trying to do. He was trying to, he was trying to get Colleen. And, and I knew that. I knew he, because him and I are friends, and I knew he liked Colleen. So he said, I'm hanging out getting ice cream with Tammy Ferguson. I said, oh, why don't you guys come to the worship night? I mean, my motives were, you know, you know what my motives were. I wanted to worship Jesus. And uh, have her there. And so, anyway, she came over. We met. And uh, uh, it was fun. And we just, I think that first night, like, she heard my name, and so she was like, wow, you're Italian, because her family's Italian, and obviously, I'm the only Nino at the entire University of Michigan, and I said, yeah, I'm Italian, and so, and we talked, and anyway, we started a friendship, and, um, and we'll talk a lot about this um, next week if you guys have questions about how we tried to, to live out what I'm teaching you in our dating relationship, because um, everything I'm talking about right now is theory. It's all theoretical. When you study the Bible about this, it's theoretical. When you hear my sermon, it's theoretical. It, it becomes real when you have to live it out as a single person trying to be pure or as a dating couple. That's when it becomes real. And so we began to date in um, the summer of 1992, before you were born. And it was a long time ago. And we allowed the Lord to sanctify us to do that work that we talked about of Iosmos in our dating relationship. And it was the best experience of my life. I mean, it was amazing. It's not like we didn't ever struggle or weren't tempted. I mean, hello, we're, we are Italian. Um, I mean, there's temptation. But it was awesome. Like, I, I feel that Jesus brought me so much closer to, to him through Tammy. And brought Tammy closer to him through me, through, as we dated. And that's what a Christian dating relationship is like. Uh, it, again, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it's awesome, man. It was amazing without the guilt and the shame and the pain and the hurt. And we had just the most amazing two years of just serving God together, having fun, laughing, going to church, doing ministry. It was amazing. And I want that for you. Tammy and I both, we want that for you guys. And... Um, Next week at, for our panel, we're going to talk about how to try to live that out, and I hope it'll be beneficial, but I wanted to leave, leave you with that story uh, again, 
just want to reiterate this, that God is not trying to withhold joy. He's trying to give you true joy. He created you. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. And so when he tells us uh, what is good for our sanctification, he knows. Amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to pray together. Let's, let's do this. A couple things at the end. I'm going to have the worship band come forward. Um, we're going to stand up, if you could, together. Um, and we're going to have an altar call in a little bit here. Now, I want, to, I want to be really clear with you guys. So, um, so if you could just give me like a, another minute of your time. Um, I'm going to give an altar call. What I mean by that is I'm going to invite you to come to the front to commit yourself to, to a life of sexual sanctification. This altar call is not for people that are currently living in sexual sin. When you come forward, not everybody's going to look at you and go, oh, my gosh, you know, so-and-so is really messed up. That's not what it is. Now, you might be, and this might be for you. Maybe this is something for you to come forward and confess sin, but this is not for just the people that are in sin, okay? This is for all of us. This is for somebody that would say, I want to come forward. I want to give my life. Like, maybe you're doing great right now. I'm doing good. But I want to give my life to Jesus and say, Jesus, sanctify my sexuality. Just, I give it to you. Make me pure. Use me. Let me know what your joy is. Is, is that clear? So when somebody comes to the front, no shame in. I'm there. I'm with you. I want to keep living this out. Amen? I want all of us to, to live this life. So, Father, we thank you so much for uh, the work you're doing in our lives in the area of sex and purity. And we want to shine as lights for you. I pray that these young men and women will shine as lights for Jesus Christ among their generation that is so caught up in confusion. Father, let them come with love and power and an anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for them, and we thank you for this incredible day that you have made. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. So as the band leads us, can you come on to the front if you'd like to just give your life to the Lord in this area of sanctification? Let's pray together. God bless.